Welcome to Harper Audio Presents. This is Erin Wicks from Harper Audio. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Laleen Paul, author of The Bees, on sale May 5, 2014. Laleen's novel explores the complex, hidden world inside a beehive through the eyes of a rogue bee called Flora 717. The novel begins with Flora 717's birth and opening our eyes with her for the very first time Bee and readers struggle to understand the rigid matriarchy operating within the hive. With an intricate hierarchy, strict laws governing procreation, and an internal death squad, Flora 717's world is one of peril and high stakes, increasingly so as she begins to rebel against its harsh order, making for a breathtaking read. Before we get started, let's hear an excerpt from the start of the novel. The cell squeezed her, and the air was hot and fetid. All the joints of her body burned from her frantic twisting against the walls. Her head was pressed into her chest, and her legs shot with cramps, but her struggles had worked. One wall felt weaker. She kicked out with all her strength and felt something crack and break. She forced and tore and bit until there was a jagged hole into fresher air beyond. She dragged her body through and fell out onto the floor of an alien world. Static roared through her brain, thunderous vibrations shook the ground, and a thousand scents dazed her mind. All she could do was breathe, until gradually the vibration and static subsided, and the scent evaporated into the air. Her rigid body unlocked, and she calmed as knowledge filled her mind. This was the arrivals hall, and she was a worker. Her kin was Flora, and her number was 717. Hi, Laleen. Thanks for sitting down with us today. It's a pleasure. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about your upcoming book, The Bees, which tells the story of a bee, Flora 717, and her sort of coming of age within this very strict hierarchy of the hive and within the larger world and it kind of exploring what it means to be a member of the society and to be an individual within the hive. And I'm I heard that you wrote this largely isolated in a garden shed. Is that, is that is true? correct? <laughs> yes, I have been locked away in my shed at the bottom of the garden for 14 months, <laughs> from beginning the first draft to uh, HarperCollins saying yes. So it's been a very intense stint, and it doesn't seem quite real now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a far cry from yeah. uh, being alone in a garden yeah, shed. Yeah. Now... How did you come up with the idea for this book? Because it's so unique, really, getting inside the perspective of a bee. Yeah, I feel very lucky to have had the idea. What happened was a friend of mine was a beekeeper and died young of cancer. And in order to honour her memory, really, I started to read about bees immediately after she died. And the truth is really stranger than fiction. A beehive is an ancient matriarchal society that is pretty much unchanged in 40,000 years. And the more I read, the more astonishing facts I found out, like the laying worker, the one in 10,000 workers in every hive that become spontaneously fertile. And that challenges the fundamental law of honeybee society, which is only the queen may breed. And then when I found out about the fertility police, the squads of bees that go looking for these rogue 
workers uh, and kill them and look for their eggs and kill them. That became extraordinary, that the hive actually polices fertility and they go around, these uh, squads of police bees, measuring the abdomens, doing spot checks on the abdomens of workers to make sure that they're not uh, fertile, they're not carrying eggs. And then when I found out about the massacre of the males, which is the annual expulsion of the drones, and this happens in all, all honeybee hives uh, at about the same time, if not the same day of the year, all the drones are driven out, killed or kicked out, because they're only going to be a drag on the food supply over the winter. So that combination of facts just seemed so incandescent to me that I was sure someone must have written this novel, because the fugitive in the ancient society, the matriarchy, the drones that live the celebrity life until... Oh, no, it's over. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Um, and the queen, you know, who is this divinity, because the average lifespan of a honeybee, a worker bee, is six to eight weeks. They literally work themselves to death. So for them, a queen who lives three to five years, maybe two to four, depending on the conditions, the queen is a divinity. She's immortal, and she gives life. So... All this is contained behind the walls of a beehive, the secret society to us. And it's happening everywhere now. And the honey that we eat is the result of millions of air miles. Uh, I'm going on, sorry, you probably had a question. <laughs> no, I am. You are I've just... got a bit obsessed about it, as you can hear. Well, you're answering all of my questions, because yeah. the whole time I was reading it, my mind was being blown a little bit. Yeah. And you're blowing it more now well, to learn how much of this is factual. Oh, I tried to keep it as factual as possible. I have taken poetic license with a few things, but literally a few things. All the beekeepers that read it may go, there's more than a few. <laughs> but I, I read what I could. I visited beekeepers. I bothered biologists and scientists... <laughs> who were very generous and shared their research. I went to honey conferences in far-flung places. Mm. I started to know the difference between certain honeys. And the facts really are stranger than fiction. And so that's a great strength. And I thought, if I keep to the facts where possible, I will find the story. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. So how did Flora 717 come into being? Because she's... Very strong-willed. I, re I really enjoyed her as a character, even though she's a bee. <laughs> Good. I'm really pleased. I wanted that. Well, it came from reading about laying workers and how their behavior changes. Because in the hive, all the bees have jobs. And the honeycomb itself acts as a transmitter. So in scent and in vibration, the bees will know what jobs need to be done in ways that are not yet fully understood by biology. So everyone has their place and goes about their business according to the law of the collective. And again, biologists don't know exactly what that is, that it works. But when a worker becomes fertile, her behavior changes immediately. She starts to hide. She'll hide her eggs around the hive. And when they get found out, she will, if she keeps laying, she will even keep them in her body longer to give them the maximum chance of survival once they're laid, the incubation period will be that much shorter. 
And to me, that was just such a human thing as a mother as well. You will do anything to protect your child. And motherhood has changed me. And I just thought it would change a bee. Why would it not change a bee? You will do anything to keep your child alive. Anything. Or at least I would. <laughs> I think that's quite a universal experience. And that was the start of her character. And then the powerful drive for motherhood. Once you have a child, you that's your driving energy. So that really informed her character. The, the yearning and then the commitment to this passionate motherhood, which is at odds with living for the service of others. It's you know, living for mm. others, mm -hmm. but also protecting your child. And those are two ir irreconcilable opposites, and that makes for great drama. Like, yes, it definitely does. This <laughs> was <laughs> a great drama. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that seems to control the hive and the general mindset of the community at large is this hive mind. Would you mm. mind just elaborating a little bit on what science says that is versus what how you've chosen to portray it in the book? I'm not sure that it is a scientifically recognized fact. Mm -hmm. It's used a lot. It's used by certain biologists, but poo-pooed by others. Mm. It's used on Twitter a lot. A lot of people talk about the hive mind of social media. And that happens through strange ways of communication that have changed society and it just seemed to me that the hive mind is like I suppose the zeitgeist of our age certain things become known as facts mm. like whether they're based on facts or just ideas so the hive mind is a useful concept for a collective understanding collective mm -hmm. unconscious okay that's a beautiful way of putting it I like that I guess there's so many different elements going on within the society. There are parts that seem very anthropomorphized, mm. um, although you're saying that they actually do have a fertility police that goes yes. around yes. And killing them. But there's also so there's this totalitarian kind of regime going on within the hive, but also a very religious dynamic with the, the sage sisters, the priestesses who help preserve the order and help with the collective prayer that kind of keeps the mm. collective conscious going. Mm. Um, so I'm wondering how these different components came to be in the story. Did they develop organically? Were, was this intentional? How no, did they, were they informed? They did develop organically mm -hmm. because in the course of my research, which was about the genetics of honeybees, and I have to stress I'm not a biologist, I'm not a beekeeper, I'm not a scientist, uh, and I might have got this completely wrong, but I believe that there can be half-sisters, that they'll be the same mother, the queen is the mother of all. However, she will have mated with many drones, and so there'll be many different uh, full sisters and half-sisters. So it seemed natural to me that there would be power struggles between those different kins, and it was a short step from finding that out to the idea that there are formal kins under one kind of biological and family mm. roof. And when the chips are down, the, the kin will stick together. And 
power is something that people don't really want to give up willingly. Mm -hmm. So a kin that has the power, for instance, say, I don't know, a royal family, (laughs) 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 may not want a republic. uh, Or a party that's been in power for a long time doesn't necessarily want to give it up and might find a lot of reasons to hang on to power for the good of the people. So a beehive seemed to be a hall of mirrors for a lot of aspects of our society. And an all-female society suggested a convent as a parallel or Mm -hmm. a religious parallel, but I wouldn't want to draw one too closely. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of appreciated that. It didn't Mm. seem like a very... It wouldn't be void to satire realm mm, it was but, mm. but there were definitely influence to our world yes mm-hmm. some things you can say oh yes that's like a capitalist society where mm-hmm. filling up the hive with honey is the super objective mm-hmm. and other things are complete inversions so it was fascinating yeah. to find out and just to see what seemed most imaginatively fertile at the time mm-hmm. and build that in now, when you were trying to get into Fora's mind as a, a bee, did you do anything beyond, I guess, reading about bees? Like, how did you get inside her head? Because it's, it's very lyrically written, very beautiful. The descriptions are so vivid and so clearly from a slightly different perspective than a, a human one. Um, Thank you. I'm glad that worked. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. I spent a lot of time looking at the behavior of insects in my own garden. Mm -hmm. Spent a lot of time sitting in front of one particular lavender bush, uh, which was out at the front, and my neighbors would look at me strangely because I'd be there (laughs) at lunchtime, then I'd be there in the afternoon. (laughs) And I would just watch who visited this bush and at what times, and bees go to flowers when the flower is providing the nectar, and flowers do that at different times. And what I didn't know when I was writing the book, and I wish I'd known, was that flowers apparently also have an electrical charge, which means they shine. So I was imagining, too late, this kind of vagus of a garden. Mm -hmm. And when a bee visits a flower that has nectar or pollen, it leaves its own electrical charge, like a signal, for other bees to choose to visit or not. Which is just mind-blowing, isn't it? (laughs) It's awesome, yes. (laughs) And you see what I mean? The, The truth is really more amazing than... You couldn't sit down and invent a bee, mm-hmm. or any of the natural world. We'd, we're just not <laughs> capable of even inventing a leaf. It's so mm-hmm. complex and so extraordinary. Yeah. And suddenly there was this window into the world outside my window mm-hmm. through one bee's experience. Okay, a fictional bee, but I went with her. Yeah. And that is the story. But and it's an incredible ride. <laughs> um, because you hear so much about how bees do have this world, but I I mean, I just had no idea the depth of the structure of it. It's so, it's so organized. Um, mm. Yeah, they are extremely organized. And one of the most fascinating things to me was that within the hive, they are part of the collective, mm-hmm. and everyone knows what they're doing, or at least we assume that yeah. from the beautiful way it works and it's used mm-hmm. as a business model and has been for hundreds of years yeah. but when a bee leaves the hive to forage she, and it's always a she is an individual mm-hmm. and must act on her own initiative independently and look after herself in order to look after the hive mm-hmm. so she goes from being one of many and obeying 
the orders of the collective to being an explorer when she's a forager. And that, to me, seemed like a fantastic dynamic to play with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that story. was very interesting to see Flora trying to mm. reconcile yeah. this identity yeah. versus So your family, your society, your relationships, mm-hmm. and all the belonging that we all have a huge need to be part of, balanced against being an individual and who you are when you're away from all that mm-hmm. and freedom and belonging and restrictions and I don't know what to think about it all I just played with it mm-hmm. well it makes for a fascinating wonderful read um, I have one more question for mm-hmm. you and it's a little bit outside of this but I, I believe you started out in screenwriting yes writing for television and, uh, and theater yes um, is this this is your first novel well, I have one in the bottom drawer. Okay. <laughs> this is your first uh, yes, publicly yes, debuting novel. Yes. Um, how was it sw- making a switch from screenwriting to novel writing? Uh, that's a good question. And I would say that I have tried to take what I learned as a screenwriter, which is a real respect for story mm-hmm. and I suppose a classical form and I have enjoyed being a playwright hugely and being in a rehearsal room with actors and hearing them speak your words and really make it flesh means that I imagine a real person inhabiting a character. Mm. So those two disciplines, plus the ability to work very hard, which writing for television gives you (laughs) again and again and again (laughs) stamina and story and conviction Mm -hmm. are what I hope I've brought from all the things I've done into the bees well again I thoroughly enjoyed reading the bees and especially learning about everything behind it it was really like I was like oh I can't (laughs) wait to like ask about this tomorrow I'm so pleased (laughs) Um, bees are amazing and I just feel very very lucky that I got to the story before someone else because (laughs) it's been sitting there yeah it's like I've uncovered the story Mm -hmm. and just pulled it out of the ground with a lot of extremely hard work (laughs) yeah do do you keep these now has this no I thought of doing it when I was writing it but I find the beehive has such a power. And also, you're going to be responsible for 60,000 lives. Yeah. And if you mess up your beekeeping, you can kill your colony. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that. And I've got a lot of things to do, like write another book. Yes. And have a family and all the other things that are part of life. So, yes, I would like to do it later, but not now. Yeah. After reading this, it is a huge responsibility. Yeah, really. And they're unprotected, but that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for sitting down with us. This is my pleasure. Thank you so much. (laughs) Before we end, let's listen to one final excerpt from The Bees. You. Their peculiar, rasping voice addressed Flora. She did not know which one spoke, so she stared at the black hooks on the backs of their legs. Hold still. Long black calipers slid from their gauntlets and they measured her height. Excessive variation. Abnormal. That will be all, officers. At the kind voice and fragrant smell, the police released Flora. 
They bowed to a tall and well-groomed bee with a beautiful face. Sister Sage, this one is obscenely ugly. And excessively large. It would appear so. Thank you, officers, you may go. Sister Sage waited for them to leave. She smiled at Flora. To fear them is good. Be still while I read your kin. I am Flora 717. Sister Sage raised her antennae. A sanitation worker who speaks most notable. Flora stared at her tawny and gold face with its huge dark eyes. Am I to be killed? You've been listening to Harper Audio Presents. Today we talked with Oline Paul, author of The Bees, and heard excerpts from the audiobook, narrated by Orla Cassidy. Both are available May 6th. We hope you will join us again on SoundCloud and iTunes for more conversations with our favorite authors. Thank you for listening.